This is episode 77 of the Popcast. Welcome to the Popcast, a weekly podcast all about pop culture in three regular segments. We're your hosts, Maureen and Josh Goldman. Maureen, welcome back. You too, honey. We had a two-week break. It was going to be one week because we went to Florida. Maureen, how did you enjoy Florida? It was delightful. Great to see my family. Wonderful to be in the warm weather. It was warm. Last year we went to Florida, same place in Florida, Mm -hmm. which is right near Sarasota. And it wasn't that warm last year. But this year, we got two extremely warm beach days. Yeah, we were in bathing suits, going in the water. It was really, really beautiful. It was close to 80 degrees, which is pretty amazing for January. Mm -hmm. Not going to turn that down. Of course, I had a lot of ice cream on our trip which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. I love ice cream. Every time we go on vacation, I mean, I know you you sort of like let go on vacation, but I make it my point to go find an ice cream place and have ice cream every day. Maureen, tell them about the first night. When we went, we tried to get ice cream. Oh, Josh was like, he looked up. So the where we stay in Florida visiting my family is literally like walkable to this ice cream shop. It's like across the way, basically. Josh looked up when it was closing and we went over like half an hour before, but it had closed and it was basically like that we had just missed it by like five minutes. Yeah, they were supposed to close at 10 and they closed at 930 and we walked over. It was maybe like 933. So night one, not a success for getting ice cream, but night two through five, very successful. We even got a a quart of ice cream. Yes, which is what we should have done because Josh kept ordering the same thing in like the two scoop portion, which is like a million dollars. I was like, just get the quart of it and call it a day. Because we had a freezer. Now it was delicious and we had a great time. Glad to be back. And then last weekend we were going to do a podcast, but our son's birthday was right around that time and we sort of got caught up with some other things. So we, you know what? We took another week off and now we're back because this week we got lots to talk about. Very exciting. Maureen, how are you doing? First of all, you're very, you're very pregnant. Just about six months. <laughs> I'm very pregnant, apparently. Just about guys. six months along, is that right? Uh, somewhere yes, in that. Somewhere in that. Almost seven. Very, wow. Okay. I don't know how to count. Very exciting. No, it's tricky because it, you always think nine months, but it's really like almost ten months. What? Forty weeks. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, nothing has really changed for me, and Maureen is uh, doing all of the growing of the child. So very exciting. Maureen, we don't have a lot to talk about this week in terms of a snack bag, but there is something that I wanted to talk about because it happened last weekend. We were going to talk about it if we had done a podcast last week, but I I figured I wanted to chat about it this week a little bit. So last weekend, there was sort of a tragic event that happened on Sunday. There was a helicopter crash. I'm sure you've heard about it at this point. And the reason that it made so much news was because on the helicopter was Kobe Bryant, famous Lakers basketball player. His daughter was on board. Very, very sad. Seven other people, including those two, passed away in the crash, including three children, which is very sad. But what I wanted to talk to you about is this idea that there is sort of like this public mourning of people we don't know. And we've talked about people who've died in the past on the podcast, but I'm just curious as to your thoughts about, first of all, why we tend to mourn people. I mean, like this past week, I'm a sports person. I'm not necessarily a basketball person. But even when I heard the news, I was sort of a little bit like, it feels sad to me. Like, obviously, anybody passing away, you know, not from natural causes late, late in their life is is a sad thing. But for some reason, you know, I grew up when he was in the NBA. And I, you know, I would watch him play sometimes. And I wasn't even a basketball fan. I'm certainly not a Los Angeles Lakers fan. But for some reason, it just sort of struck me in a way that, you know, sometimes these things haven't before. So I, I'm curious, from your perspective, first, 
why we tend to mourn public figures when they pass away early. Well, I think there's a lot that can be said about being a public figure or a famous person, whether sports or actor or musician or otherwise, but you, you know, these people live a life in the spotlight. And especially now with social media, you are constantly, if you choose to be, on display and people can have access into every part of your life, personal or otherwise. And so I think that there's a feeling like with very famous people, like you know them, even though you don't, like you don't know Kobe Bryant, but you feel like you do because you watched him play for all those years or because, you know, you're... I mean, he he, he had a personality beyond even basketball. Like he won an Oscar a couple of years ago for uh, an animated short film that he helped produce. I mean, I guess that makes sense that you feel connected to them in a way that you you might not otherwise. Right. They're not connected to you, but because they're a public figure, you can feel connected to them and feel like you know what's going on in their life. I think that this one has seemed to resonate or affect or, you know, cause grief for more people is because, well, none of this is substantiated. These are just my theories. I think it's hard. This one is particularly sad because it was just a normal thing. It was not a drug overdose. It was not because of, you know, any kind of substance abuse or any kind of foul play of any kind. You know, it wasn't like somebody hurting somebody else or somebody hurting themselves or, you know, addiction or mental illness. There was nothing you could blame. That's what I mean by villain. Yeah, it was just an accident. It like was the, just the helicopter an accident. crashed. Yeah. And, and that is so, there's something, obviously any kind of death at a young age is very tragic, but there's something so heartbreaking about this because, Everyone was just going about their day and being, you know, doing their best to live a good life. And I think the fact that there were three children involved, including Kobe's daughter, you know, people have talked a lot about Kobe's wife, who's been left behind without her husband and without her 13-year-old. And, like, that is something that any parent can certainly relate to. And, you know, that kind of trauma is just so sad to even think about. And when it happens to somebody who you feel like you were connected to in some way, even though you weren't, it, it hits close to home. So the other part of this that I wanted to discuss on here is that Kobe Bryant, as with any human being, was not a perfect person. And he had a very public case back in 2003 where he potentially sexually assaulted someone. Now, the case was never taken to court and it was sort of settled out of court. There was a civil case. He did apologize. So it sounds like he something happened. Basically, he was married to his wife this other woman was involved, and it was a really negative, nasty situation. And I read this article on BuzzFeed, and I pulled it up because I wanted to make sure to give the author credit. It's by someone named Jill Filipovich. And the article she wrote, and I highly encourage you to read this, is an article entitled, We Have to Tell the Whole Truth About Kobe Bryant. And there's one part of the article in particular that really struck me, because I was reading a lot about you know, him passing away and and knowing his sort of checkered past, you know, might have only been one time, but it was still something that was serious. And, you know, people can we we hope that people can evolve and change. But what this what this author wrote in her article really struck me because she said, quote, we still don't know how to tell human stories when a life ends. Only heroes journeys or villains defeats. And what really struck me about that is that it's really hard when you have a person who dies 
because humans aren't perfect and you have to, you know, we tend to like memorialize people or we tend to celebrate their death because they were quote unquote a villain. And I just find it really interesting that it's hard to grapple with people who die who clearly did a lot of good. Like Kobe Bryant seems for all we know to be, to have been a really good father. You know, after this incident, he seems to have been a really good husband. And we certainly think he could have repented and, and done really great things with his life. And it seemed like he was going to do many great things to come had his life not ended. But still, you sort of have to recognize that he wasn't just this perfect person that we can memorialize. So I'm curious from your perspective, Maureen, how do you grapple with that? You know, and it doesn't have to just be with a famous person, but it is in this case, but any person who passes away, we tend to, if they were close to us in any way, we tend to just forget all of the negative things they've done and only look at sort of like the heroic side of things. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's true with famous people and with not famous people. I don't, I don't have a lot of opinions on Kobe specifically because I was not very aware of him as a public figure. I did not follow him. I did not watch basketball. I did not know anything about him good or bad except you knew he was in existence like yes, he was one of the was basketball a, players I knew you he knew was about. a famous basketball player that's which is a, more than you can say about, about most basketball players that's very true. other than lebron james um and michael jordan yeah okay and larry go. bird and scotty pippen whoa okay whoa you just named the starting five i mean did i get them all that's you, all i know you I didn't think. get you didn't get all the NBA and then players i know ever. the uva basketball team yeah okay that's good enough for me <laughs> okay I just think that that's how it is when someone passes away. And we'll talk about this in our premiere topic, you know, when we talk about our reactions to the Super Bowl commercials and halftime show this week. But I am very, I'm finding myself very sensitive and aware of like when I'm being marketed to or when I'm like, when perception is being skewed for a particular purpose. I don't think Kobe's perception is being skewed for a purpose, but I think that his perception is being colored by the way that the tragic way that he passed away. And that's just the reality. So I think that, you know, this article that you mentioned sounds very interesting. I have not read it, but I, but I might take a look at that this week. I just thought it was, I just thought it was kind of poignant for her to say, it's okay to recognize that someone had faults in the past while also celebrating the great things they've, they've done. And the whole point of her article was that we as a human culture just don't really know how to do that. I mean, really it is when someone dies in a tragic way, it really is black and white. You know, they're either like an amazing person with maybe some people in the woodwork saying like, but wait, they did something. Or, you know, it's someone who is a villain or an enemy. And we say but it's not even only when someone passes away. Like we tend to do this as a, a society, yeah. like thanks to the 24 hour news cycle about anyone who's being villainized or I'm like, I'm thinking of all of the like me too things that have come out of these men who have behaved incredibly badly and treated women unfairly and taken advantage and you know molested or whatever all kinds of horrible things and then that is what is known about them not remembered because they're still living but that is the way we perceive them and I don't mean to negate that in any way that is true and that should be part of the way we're perceived but a lot of times they have done other good things in their lives as well so it's like how do you reconcile someone who is quote unquote bad who has had incredibly bad and toxic and damaging damaging evil whatever you want to call it behavior if they also produced something good i i don't have an answer to that but i think that as a society 
And this is especially of people who are in the public, public eye because we don't really know these people and we're getting what we're being fed through the media. That's not to say that the media is not true. Like these, you know, these people who've been convicted in the Me Too movement have done these bad things. Like we've heard many women say that. Like it's truth. It's not like Right, but perception. we're never we're never hearing the full truth. We're never hearing every detail because that can't possibly be known. So I think to your point, yes, it's not as if the media is lying, but it's like they don't know everything. So they're just reporting what they do know or what they want you to hear. Yeah, no, that's it's not even that. It's more like, okay, well, you know, if someone did all these horrible and bad things, those things are horrible and bad no matter what. In some cases, those people also were wonderfully loving fathers or, you know, wonderfully loving sons who took care of their parents. I'm making this up. I don't have an example. I'm just saying that, like, unless we actually know someone, we don't often see ways in which they are good and ways in which they are bad. And so, I don't know. I I think this was a large tangent. I think it's... Very interesting to think about how life in the public eye shapes that. And that's a choice that these people all made most of the time, unless, you know, they're like born into it. But I don't know. I think if you don't really know someone, which a lot of these people, we don't, you know, we don't personally know someone, then you are getting one one side more or the other side more. Yeah. No, I think you make a good point. All right. Well, on that happy note this is like the most depressing podcast we've ever done sorry everybody. I, I just thought it was an interesting topic to cover because you know a lot of the times we talk about really lighthearted stuff but i do think there is relevance to things that happen in pop culture and i think we should touch on those things all right so that'll do it for the snack bag depressing snack bag but let's move on to a lighter topic which is the super bowl is currently happening right now as we record this. I have no idea what the score is, so congratulations to Insert Winning Team here for their victory in the Super Bowl. But what we want to talk about are the things we did watch, which are Super Bowl commercials and the Super Bowl halftime show. So let's start with the Super Bowl commercials. I'm sure we didn't watch everything. We watched a lot of them. And I want to give you a little fun fact here, Maureen, that this year, a 30-second Super Bowl ad cost 5.6 million dollars and that seems lower than i thought it was going to be that's just the cost to put it on the air it does not include the cost to actually produce the commercial so we're going to talk about a couple of these first maureen let's just talk generally i think we are both on the same page but a lot of these felt a little bit like so gimmicky and so silly yeah like i i don't need to see like ten thousand famous people in one commercial or like famous singer x trying to sell this chip or buy this beer or whatever it may be like that doesn't carry a lot of weight for me I I, the ones that resonated with me were the simple ones that didn't have a lot of spectacle and I think that's just you know a reflection of my values right now and where I am in my life but to me I just felt like so much of it was excess and like promoting excess and making excess look sexy and wonderful and like you should have it and I just I don't know it it didn't it didn't really do it for me the ones that kind of were more like stripped down to their core and getting it like the the core of common things amongst all of us in humanity those were the commercials that I really liked I think that your point is super well taken and that was much more articulate than I would be on this I would just say if you're going to spend that much money to put it on the air and you're going to spend that much money to have famous people in your commercial 
you better put out a good product because otherwise you're it's just really wasted money. I am no more likely to go buy Doritos because Sam Elliott and Lil Nas X were in a commercial. Like that that did nothing for me as a marketing tool. Or I'm no more likely to go buy Bud Light Seltzer or whatever, Budweiser Seltzer, because Post Malone was in a commercial. Like that stuff to me doesn't really work. Now I will say, the ones that do work, I'm with you on the ones that are simple and sort of resonate with all of the United States or most of the United States. But I will say one that I did enjoy that I thought was pretty funny was the Hyundai commercial with the smart parking feature or the smart park. Oh, look at this guy. Hey, Rachel, how are you? Hey, good, how are you? He's not getting that car in there. No, sir. Look at these two troublemakers. Hey, Johnny, how are you? Wicked car, is that new? Yeah, it's a Sonata. Let me pack it. Oh, you're not fitting your car in there. Chris, stop being a smarty pants, all right? Look who's got Smart Pack. Smart Pack? Just hit the clicker, car packs itself. It's smart, it's wicked smart. I agree, that was a funny one that was like, let's see how many famous people we can put in this that actually worked. Yeah, because I think it was well-constructed. It was a commercial for Hyundai's car feature where you can park your car with like a push of a button and you don't have to be in there. And it starred Chris Evans and John Krasinski and Rachel Dratch, who are all from the Boston area. And so they did it with this sort of Boston shtick where they were like, oh, you, you can park like your- the old Saturday Night Live sketch that Rachel Dratch- Yeah, you can, you know, you can uh, park your car real smart. And it, so it's like, was that a terrible Boston accent? Or that was, was actually oh, so, okay. So I thought that was funny and that was well done. Now, am I more likely to go buy a Hyundai? No, probably not. No, but I would remember it. And they used the stars in the commercial in a way that meant something. It wasn't like they were scaling down a building or just in a convenience store for no reason. It was that these are three actors who are from Boston. It makes sense that they could be doing this situationally. Like it, it made a little bit more sense, which I appreciated rather than just like, oh, we have these three and we're going to use them because they're all famous and target different groups of, you know, Americans. And, you know, we're going to have one of them park the car and then another one do this. And then this sparkly thing is going to explode. And then there's going to be fireworks. Yeah, it was pretty simple gonna, yeah. at its core. I will also yeah, say I think that it was probably really cheap to produce other than paying the talent. I will also say that our loyal listener, Michelle, will probably be very happy about that commercial because Big, Big Poppy. Poppy, David Ortiz, was in the commercial. Shout out to Michelle. Thanks for listening. So one of the things I will say about an effective commercial, and you and I both work in marketing, so I think we're more attuned to this stuff. But for me, a really good commercial is one where not only will I remember what they were talking about which in some cases I remember the content of the commercial, but not who it's for, which I think we'll talk about when we talk about your favorite commercial, but also one where I look at it and I'm like, I don't feel like I'm being marketed to. So that's a good segue, I think, into our favorite commercials. Yeah. And do you want to start or do you want me to start? Well, I'll start. So my favorite commercial, like hands down within the first like, you know. 30 minutes or so of the... Super yeah, but in the, I was going to say like in the first five seconds oh, yeah, of me yeah. seeing it, I was like, okay, I like this. Whatever this is, I want to hear more about what they're saying. Um, so mine was for, we had to look up who it was for because I really had no idea. I was like, it's an insurance company, which it is, It was, right? yeah, yeah. New York Life. I think I guessed Allstate, which should tell or you something about their commercial presence and how like pervasive it is Yeah. Um, on a normal basis, not just in the Super Bowl. But New York Life did basically like this beautiful like getting to the core of humanity that like is common among all of us, the four kinds of love. The ancient Greeks had four words for love. The first is philia. Philia is affection that grows from friendship. Next, there's storge, 
The kind you have for a grandparent. Or a brother. Let's go. Third, there's Eros. The uncontrollable urge to say, I love you. The fourth kind of love is different. It's the most admirable. It's called agape Agape love, which is the most powerful of all, which is about consistent sacrifice and just they showed scenes of like a a grown man putting his elderly father into the bathtub and of people taking care of infants and of, you know, people, you know, caring for a child who was handicapped and putting the wheelchair in the back seat and, you know, working parents trying to get their kids out. And it the the tagline was like something like do life right or something like that, which I think is, again, so simple, but so beautiful. And the commercial was varied enough that it had a little bit of something for everybody in any phase of life. We all have families, either that we're born into or that we make out of, you know, friends and partners that we choose. So I just think it was really beautiful and it was about, you know, protecting the things that are important to you. So that to me was the clear winner. And again, this is, like I said at the beginning, much more what's resonating with me right now, which is like that simple stripped down. Like there was, these were scenes in like messy houses and normal life. And Maureen, we don't have a messy house. It doesn't. I'm just kidding. We have, no, we have a no, really it's messy not even house. About that, but it's like it wasn't like everything staged, right? right? You know, right. like the it Budweiser laundry commercial where real. the guy is like, you know, the guy and his wife, and it's like everything is perfect in this like little house, and then he spills something on himself. I don't know. It just it didn't feel. It felt more like a home movie than a well done marketing piece. Which like is it what didn't it really look slick and polished. It looked more. No, it was like polished, real life. but it looked like, yeah, it represented real life. Well. So I liked that one as well, and I liked the message. The only thing I didn't like about it was that I couldn't remember who it was for, and I think that goes to the point of, I'm not really sure that they, they sort of like, you know, wedged in this like, you know, different types of love and our company. Like it didn't, it didn't entirely match up. So for me, it was like, okay, I like your message. I think it's a positive message, but... I'm not sure that it fits with New York life. Like, I don't think of an insurance company and think four types of love. Okay, so my favorite commercial of the night was a commercial from Google. It was called Loretta. Hey, Google, show me photos of me and Loretta. Remember, Loretta hated my mustache. (laughs) Remember, Loretta loved going to Alaska and scallops. Show me photos from our anniversary. Remember, she always snorted. And the basic premise of this commercial was that there's this older man and he is talking to his Google device. I don't know if it's his phone or his, you know, like smart device, but basically saying like, Google, please remember these things about Loretta. And you're not really sure who Loretta is at first, but then you sort of learn that it's his wife and that eventually you learn in the commercial that Loretta, his his wife, has passed away. And I think Maureen wasn't super clear on this when we first saw the commercial, but at the end of the commercial, there's this line that comes up that says, Google, remind me that Loretta didn't want me to sit around and mope and to go out and live life. And what I like about this commercial so much is that 
it's very simple in its execution. It's mostly just pictures and text and sort of archival footage. And I think it could be from a real person. I mean, that's how like simple this whole thing was. I don't know if it was. I'd be interested to find out. But what I like about the commercial is that not only is it simple, but it really ties into a product that Google has for people, something that could actually work. Yeah, I wanted to know, this wasn't my favorite because I had more questions at the end, which mm-hmm. maybe is what Google wants. But I wanted to know, like, did Loretta die? Did she have Alzheimer's? Did he have Alzheimer's? Is that why he wanted to remember? Like, Yeah, I thought were, it could have been either of those two. Yeah, yeah, I just, I wanted a little bit more about that. I would have liked to see him. Yeah. We never see him. We just hear him. And I didn't know what, was he talking to his computer? Was he talking to his Google like the equivalent of Alexa. Like I wanted to know because if I ever want to do that, I wanted to know how to do that. And that was not clear. It was like, oh, Google's so cool. You can just ask Google. To, but Google, what am I? What am I asking? I want to know like how the machine works. Like, well, I think that I think that to answer your question, and this is not a point in the favor of the commercial since it didn't necessarily explain this, but I think what does happen is that you can just ask the Google device, whether it's your phone or your Google Home or whatever device you have, to say, can you remember this? And it will make a note or sort of like a, you can pull it up in your notes app or something like that. So it'll basically- it was like saving pictures and it was like connected to Google Photos. Yeah, I I think that- the idea is that all of the Google things that you have can be integrated together. So you can say, can you find this photo? And if you have all your stuff in Google Photos, then great, it'll pull it. And I think what's clever about the marketing tactic is that it helps distract you from the fact that Google kind of like controls most of what you're doing in terms of like they have all of your emails and they have all of your pictures that are on their servers. And and I think when a commercial can do that, when something like Google, which is so pervasive in the news, not always positively because, you know, privacy issues and stuff like that, when they can have a commercial that makes you forget about that stuff, which it did for me for a minute of the commercial, I think that's incredibly effective. So I can, I totally take your points that it could have been clear, but I like that it had a story. I like that it had emotion in a minute and I thought it was really well done. Yeah. And it was very clear that it was Google. Yes. Like you, it, you know, it had the Google colors, it had the Google interface, it like had the like search, the, yeah. the typing. But so unlike the New York Life one that I loved so much and I couldn't remember who they were for, Google's branding was all over yeah, this. You won't forget that it's Google. I will say just as an honorable mention, I really like the Budweiser commercial, the typical American commercial. I think I'm a little bit biased because there was a clip of the Nationals winning the World Series and celebrating with their Budweisers. Now, that one to me is, again, sort of like the New York Life one where I'm sort of like, I mean, yeah, does it really match up? But I guess Budweiser has always been like the American beer. So like talking about the typical American beer being Budweiser. And it's sort of like a, a subversive message, like the way yeah, they that were they... taking back the word typical, like, yeah, instead of that being a negative or like a, a kind of a downturn, like, you know, it was more like, OK, well, if we're the typical American beer, we represent the typical American, the typical American like being strong and fighting a fire and being nurturing. It was like all these amazing things about Americans. And they were like, we're happy to represent the typical American because, you know, it's really a good thing. I thought it was an effective commercial. Uh, We will link our favorites in the show notes, but before we get off the Super Bowl topic, we're going to shift from commercials just briefly to talk about the halftime show, which was Shakira 
and J-Lo. Now, what I want to say about Jennifer Lopez being part of the halftime show is I think when she initially signed on to do this, she thought she might be in the midst of an Oscar race, which she was not nominated for an Oscar, which I think surprised a lot of prognosticators. She was in a movie called Hustlers, which I haven't seen, but um, I heard she was pretty good in the movie. And I think a lot of the you know prognosticators and people who predict this stuff were very surprised that she did not receive... Uh, an Oscar nomination. So I think she was thinking, oh, Oscar voting will be open when the Super Bowl is happening. I'll remind all the people out there how big of a superstar I am, how much you want me to be on the Oscar stage and receiving an award. Of course, that didn't happen. So she was performing at the Super Bowl anyway. So let's talk first about Shakira. Shakira was first. And I'll just say, I was surprised that she had as much airtime as she did. Yeah, she had she had went through like many songs. What did you think of her performance? I thought she looked I mean, she's a beautiful girl. She's a beautiful dancer. I mean, like powerhouse performer. I don't think she was actually singing. I yeah. think she was lip syncing for a lot of it. Either that or she sounds just so incredibly professional it's and never out of breath. There was one time where she was sort of crowd surfing when they turned her real mic on and she did a little singing yeah. and it definitely sounded different. Um, but I think, you know, she's a powerhouse performer. I know very little about her, but from what I can tell, like it was nice to have two like women, strong women powerhouses up there, you know, like kicking butt. I will say like for me overall, the Super Bowl halftime show is just, I mean, excess with a capital E. Like it just. The whole I word mean, is like, capitalized. There, there is, I mean, the fireworks and the the costumes and the lights and it's all just this like crazy like adrenaline filled I don't know my favorite Super Bowl performer of all time for the halftime show was Lady Gaga and that was because she had she had that she is this like powerful and clearly the word excess can be applied to her you know like she's she's a very unique talent and that she's done a lot with costumes and makeup and whatever but she sang the whole thing and it was all about like her voice like I think I would have had a stronger reaction if like Shakira and JLo had set up like two chairs and done like an acoustic session for part of it like yeah but that doesn't sell at the Super I know, Bowl Maureen. I know all right so anyway for what it was I think they both did an amazing job JLo looks fantastic she's Josh 50. told me she's 50 I'm flabbergasted she looks like she's 20 and She's she, still Jenny from the block. Yeah, she is. She was doing some crazy, both of them were doing some crazy dance moves. It was very like, you know, power to the female focus, which was really nice. I think my only critique would be, it was interesting to me that these two amazing mega superstar women were the stars of the show and they were basically naked. I mean, like their costumes were beautiful and their bodies are beautiful and their dance moves are amazing, but like they were very scantily clad. And that's part of the spectacle of it all. I didn't find it offensive in any way, but there were these two like guest rappers who came on at different times and they were wearing like straight, like oversized clothes. Like it might as well have been like winter. And like, <laughs> it was just interesting to me. Well, it that, is winter, but it was in Miami. Yes, but it's interesting to me that the women performers are like wearing next to nothing. And it was a lot about their bodies and the men, it was not about their bodies at all. Like they were completely covered. You have to wonder if that's a choice that they're making. I'm, I'm, I assume it is because. Well, Adam Levine stripped. What year was that? Yeah, that was, was last, that last year? year. Maybe two years ago. I think it was last year, actually. I mean, it like, was last year. This was the thing we talked about that his shirt was coming off and everyone was like going crazy. I think so that I it's someone as powerful as Jennifer Lopez could decide what she wants to wear. Like, I don't think the NFL is saying you must wear. She didn't wear anything offensive. It, it And it right. wasn't. It was just. I, I take your point. Yeah. Both of the performances involved a lot of like these beautiful, sexy women 
And that was part of it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the performance was good. It was entertaining. It didn't drag at all. But I don't love the lip singing. I mean, I get it. I agree. It, it's important. It's probably important in a giant stadium like that. And it's probably not like they were in a studio. They could have recorded it during a dress rehearsal. But it's probably important that they do that to make sure that there are no sound issues because it is viewed but by... I think every performer gets to decide themselves. I'm just saying I can understand why you might choose to lip sync. Not saying it's my thing. I don't love it, but I can I get it. What, what grade would you give it? I was going to give my grade, but I want to hear your grade first. A B? I was going to give it like a B or B plus. Yeah, I think we're right on the same page. How many fireworks were there? Too many. The fireworks are outside of the stadium. No one inside the state. Can they even see that? No, in there? definitely not. They kept cutting back and forth between like Shakira's hips and like fireworks on the roof. I was yeah. like, I want to see fireworks on the roof. Like show me the Shakira. Warren. Is that all the Super Bowl talk we want to do tonight? I think so. Just my honorable mention, you gave yours and then we skipped to the halftime show. Oh, yeah. Sorry. My honorable mention was Walmart's, like, we don't see from a bird's eye view. We see, like, local towns. I thought they did a really nice job of connecting to, like, a all-American, a little bit more rural, like, certainly not city life, but more like, okay, in a small town where in a lot of times Walmart is one of the only you know, big stores servicing those. I, I just, it was nice. It was a touching way. I think that they were really trying to hit a certain target market of theirs. And I thought they did a nice job. All right. Well, let's move on to our teasers and wrap this episode up. Maureen, I will go first. Last weekend, I got the chance to see 1917 in theaters. You're welcome. And I went with a friend this time. I didn't go by myself, but thank you for letting me go. And I will say it was pretty amazing to see on a big screen. I got to see it in IMAX, which was very exciting. So the entire gigantic screen was filled with this movie that is made to look like one shot. You know, I don't I, I like the story. It's well done. But I think the, the most impressive thing is the technical achievement. It is made to look like one shot. The whole movie, it is not actually. But the cinematography, the music, the production design, the costumes, all of that together is incredible. And it's just sort of like a feat to think about how they pulled this off. And one of the behind the scenes things I read was that they filmed the entire thing outside, except for one or two scenes that take place in a house. But one of the things they had to do was wait for cloud cover to cover the sun. And it reminded me of a short film that I directed one time where we were trying to match continuity between shots and we were waiting for the clouds. And just like on this big Hollywood set, we also were sort of staring up at the, at the sky waiting for clouds to pass in front of the sun. Who's we? You, I watched too. I was on cloud duty, everyone. This was like my job. I had to like stand in the middle of this field and like watch the clouds. And when I thought something was going to move behind... Were we trying to wait for the clouds to cover the cover sun? Cover the sun, yeah. When I saw a cloud like coming, I'd be like, okay, in one minute, one minute. And then everyone would like get ready. And then I'd be like, false alarm. Or like, it's coming. It was ridiculous. Yes, Maureen, thank you for being on cloud duty. You're welcome. But even Hollywood productions have to be on cloud duty. So what I will say about 1917, if you can see it in theaters, do it. It's definitely worth it to see it on a big screen because of sort of the spectacle of it all. But I definitely recommend it. And it could be a big player at the Oscars next weekend. Maureen, what is your teaser this week? I have many thoughts, so I'm just going to word bomb at them all for you guys. Okay. Okay. So yeah, I feel like we've watched a lot of new shows. We've, we've tried, tried to. Yeah. We've we've watched like two episodes of The Magicians, which was recommended to me by a friend at work. I've been watching this silly show on Netflix called Money for Nothing. It's a British show about this woman who like goes to the British basically recycling center and picks three things that people were going to throw away and rehabs them and makes money for them. It's very silly. It's very British. It's very British. They're I so like delightful. That part. Yeah. I have watched 
what was the other thing that we watched? Oh, I watched the Goop, the Gwyneth Paltrow thing. It's like Boo. all over Netflix. Yeah, I don't think I could really handle that. My, my thing that I was going to say is that I've like tried to, I'm like looking for something to get into that's like compelling and good and like maybe thought provoking and, you know, obviously enjoyable if it's going to be my entertainment. And I just haven't landed on anything. It seems like a lot of things are a little bit like falling flat or like, I'm like this with books too. It's terrible. But I'm like, if I'm not hooked within like, you know, at least two episodes, I'm kind of like, well, I don't want to keep doing this. I don't want to pursue it. And I'm really okay just kind of walking away from things. Totally get that. Totally get it. If anyone has any, you know, shows out there that they like really believe in or find compelling, I'd love to know. I'm going to say my actual teaser is Toy Story 4, which was new to me. We watched it this weekend with our son. Who is three. Yes, I set up a movie theater in our basement. Josh really did. It's a real thing. It's beautiful. He's done a great job and he's going to continue making it look very professional. Yes, I will continue. Because obviously that's important to me in our new house. But he's really he's really outdone himself. It looks great. Anyway, Josh had gotten Caleb a Woody doll and he already had a Buzz Lightyear um, for my stepdad. And... He had never seen any of the movies, so we decided we were going to watch one. And I really did not want to watch the first Toy Story because I find the villain character in that movie, Sid, who is the next door neighbor, very scary for children. He's, I think people will remember from our Toy Story podcast. Yes, I was very upset by this. He's the next door neighbor kid, and he just kind of abuses toys. And I don't, I don't like his behavior. I don't want my son seeing that that's a way that a, a boy could act, a little boy or girl, a, a child could act. Anyway. Toy Story 4, into it. Not quite as cute like as Toy Story 1 for me, but as a kid, the villains in this one kind of turn out to be okay in the end. You see that they had good motives. They're a little bit scary like ventriloquist dummy dolls, but like it is not nearly the like disordered behavior of like a child like torturing his sister's toys. So I thought it was a really good one for families and I found it- yeah, he did. And I found it enjoyable too. Like it was the first time I was watching it. So I would just say if you're looking for like a kid's movie or a family movie, or even if you just like the Toy Story saga as an adult, if you haven't seen number four, it's worth the watch. All right. That'll do it for this week. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back next week with our very special Oscars show. We'll see how we end up recording that, whether it's during the show or immediately after. But Maureen did promise months ago. She promised months ago she would help me record this. Or you know what? If at the last minute she says, me and my pregnant self are going to bed, then I will be here for a special Oscar show first thing Monday morning after the Oscars next weekend. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you soon. You can leave us feedback, comments, or questions on each episode by going to vernacularpodcast.com slash poppedcast. We would love to hear from you. You can also reach us by emailing thepoppedcast at vernacularpodcast.com. Please also subscribe, rate, and review our show on your podcast app of choice so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back next week, as always, sitting cross-legged on our bedroom floor with a brand new episode. Bye, everybody. Bye. She kind of looks like she's straight out of 2005. Like I, her, know, I thought she looked great. She's no, no, no. I just meant like her performance and like her style is very much like hips don't lie 2005 style. I mean, I think that's her her jam. Yeah.